Rackhouse Ramblings, episode number 30, uh, take one. All right, Rackhouse Ramblings, episode 30. I'm Jeff, and this is the 10th episode of the second season. Uh, this podcast, you know, for you guys, it'll probably sound the same. For me, this is going to be a little bit different. Normally, my, my setup is I have a uh, microphone, I have a headset on. That way I can hear myself talking. Um, this week, I'm going to do without the headset. It probably sounds the same to you guys, but for me, it'll feel, it feels funny already. And I've had this crazy tinnitus thing going on and it is just not uh going away so bear with me i'm gonna uh do this one a little bit different we'll see how it goes but anyway episode 30 10th episode of the second season i got some cool bourbon stuff to talk about um first up is an article i found on a a web page called the daily beast and the daily beast is an online website you can go to www.dailybeast.com and this is not (laughs) serious news by any means but it was an article that caught my eye, uh, and it was titled Stop Wasting Your Money on Bourbon That's Too Old by a guy named Lou Bryson. Um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Then I have this cool, uh, these antique locks. I know you think antique locks or whatever, but they kind of tie into bourbon and alcohol and all those sorts of things, and I thought you guys might be interested in it. And uh, before we get into too much uh, stuff this week, let's talk about the bourbon spotlight. I'm going to stay with the theme of aged bourbon. And I pulled two bottles off the shelf. One is my go-to favorite. One is Evan Williams Single Barrel. And the second is a Knob Creek 12-year-old. And uh, I'll start in that order. So before we get going on the podcast, we're going to get right into the spotlight. I got my all-time favorite here, uh, Evan Williams Single Barrel. This is a 2012 vintage. So we're going to pull some of this and put that in the uh, glass. And I'm going to do two of the same glasses. So side-by-side comparison that's kind of my plan. So we have the Evan Williams single barrel. Then the other one we're going to do is uh, Knob Creek. This is a 12-year-old Knob Creek. I'll try and uh, keep my volume uh, consistent here. I know it's going to be tough for me, but here we go. Uh, Knob Creek, 12-year, 100 proof. So we're going to put that in the next glass. And I have to apologize. I've been primed already cooking dinner tonight. I was sipping some Eagle Rare, <laughs> so I've already got that on the palate. But either way, let's take a sip of the uh, Evan Williams. We're going to get started. This is Rackhouse Rambling. Episode 30 is underway. We'll be right back. All right, we're back with the article. The other thing I'm doing different this week is while I'm podcasting and while I'm reading my script, I've got some uh, YouTube going in the background, and I'll tell you this week I've been on a... Uh, Bob Seeger kick and specifically Live Bullet. Live, this is for a lot of you guys probably have never heard of it. I'm sure you, some of you have, but for my buddies out there, Dube and John and Booger and you guys, I know you've heard this one. So hopefully I'm not going to have it too loud in the background, but uh, the Live Bullet kind of has been giving me some inspiration lately. <laughs> some classic rock. So here we go. First thing we're going to talk about is a uh, article that I found while I was surfing the web. Uh, I don't remember what I was looking for, but somehow I stumbled across this article and it caught my attention. It's called Stop Wasting Your Money on Bourbon That's Too Old 
by a guy named Lou Bryson. And the author gives his opinion about old bourbon. His, his opinion is don't waste your money. And it it's funny, I, I feel the same way. So him and I are on the same page. And right out of the gate, he talks about how much um, influence a new charred oak barrel has on the bourbon and comparing scotch to bourbon. And that's something I've been reading about. Probably in the next podcast, I'll have a book for you guys to check out. But um, comparing scotch to bourbon, I'll read a quote from the article. Um, the biggest difference between scotch and bourbon isn't where they're made, what they're made from, or even the use of peat smoke. It's the new charred oak barrel that bourbon legally must be aged in. That's why a 10-year-old bourbon is ruddy and brown, full of vanilla and caramel, and wrapped round with firm oak spice and a hint of tannic structure. On the other hand, a 10-year-old scotch is aged in a used barrel. While some brands use old sherry casks, most scotch is aged in used bourbon barrels. Either way, the barrel's influence has mellowed, and its robust colors and strong flavors already pulled out. That 10-year-old scotch is just coming of age, but the 10-year-old bourbon may be at the crest of the hill. Ten Kentucky summers have hammered it deep into the finish or into the fresh wood of the barrel, and ten ice storm-filled winters have pulled it back, carrying vanilla, tannin, and other flavors with it. And I thought that was a pretty interesting quote. That's kind of why I pulled it out of there. So uh, scotch has to be aged that long. I suppose um, the flavor comes from the barrel, and if the barrel's already got the mojo taken out of it, it takes longer to get mojo in your scotch, I guess. Um and I hadn't thought about it. Well, maybe I have, but I put in two two together. The the new barrel works better than the used barrel. I guess that's what his article is saying. And uh, that kind of makes sense to me. And I use the word mojo because I don't know how to describe all that science, the terminology and things like that. But anyway, further into the article, the, the author talks about a conversation he had with Jimmy Russell. And Jimmy Russell is the master distiller for Wild Turkey. He believed the sweet spot for bourbon is 6 to 12 years old. And after reading that, I kind of paused and I browsed kind of around my bourbon room and I looked at the bottles and I took a, like a, a small inventory here and I'm going to read them off to you guys. So uh, like at the beginning of the show we talked about, I have Evan Williams Single Barrel that was distilled in uh, 2012 and bottled in 2020. So that's an eight-year-old single barrel bourbon. Then I grabbed the Knob Creek, that's 12 years old. Um, looking around on my shelf, I have another uh, bottle. It's Kirkland Small Batch. That's the Costco bourbon. That's a seven-year. The Baker's Single Barrel, one of my favorites, one of my new favorites, is a seven-year. Uh, I've got a bus bottle of Russell Reserve that I really like. That's a six-year-old. Um, I have a New Riff Single Barrel. That was distilled in 2016 and bottled in 2020, and that's a four-year-old bottle. Then I have uh, the one I was at McNeely Family Distillery and did my own uh, bottle. That was a single barrel distilled in 2018 and bottled in 2020, and that's a two-year-old. So without really trying, um, my collection reflects kind of the guy's consensus is that I don't have bourbons that are really that old. The oldest one that I have right now is that 12-year Knob Creek. And for me, it was all about the taste. Um and it kind of, I guess maybe that's why I like the article. I'm leaning into the article, whatever, or I like the author. Without really trying, my collection um, reflects what the article says. And uh, let's, what else do I have here? Oh, you know what? They had a quote from Jimmy Russell. Uh, like I was saying, the master still for wild turkey. When, and his quote is, when we're tasting, if we taste something that's aging well, we'll put the barrel or barrels aside and keep tasting them. When they start getting that woody taste, we'll start moving the barrel down to the cooler bottom floors. We can move 
thousands, but how's it? we can't move thousands, but we can do 100, 150 barrels. We can control the aging of it. We've always done that. At the perfect age, we'll bottle them. And it's, the quote kind of educated me, and this I guess it makes sense. The higher up in the rack house, maybe the quicker the aging or quicker the process, right? Um, the higher up, the warmer the temperature. And that's, I guess, common sense, right? And if something tastes good, they set it aside. And I think I've told you guys that before. Um, if, if a barrel is good, they set it aside. And that becomes either a single barrel or a small batch or something special. So... Um, that being said, I'm going to take another sip here. I've taken a sip of the Evan Williams single barrel, and I, to me, it's really, really smooth. Now I'm going to take a sip of the Knob Creek, wet my palate before we go any further. All right. So another thing I learned from this article, um, Jimmy described a woody taste. And the way he, like, uh, the way he, uh, Someone says, hey, what is a woody taste? What do you mean by that? And his in the article, he says, well, pick up a stick of white oak and start chewing on it. That's a woody taste. And I thought, that is such a, such a good description, right? And the more I read this article, the more I liked it. Um, like I was saying, the article was by a guy named Lou. Uh, let me look it up here again. Boom, Lou Bryce. Stand by. Lou Bryson, stop wasting your money on bourbon that's too old. That was the title of the article. So anyway, um, the more I read it, the more I liked it. The concept of a practical master distiller and a scientific master distiller. That's something that he brought up. And so Jimmy Russell from Wild Turkey, he'd be called the practical master distiller. That's um, They, they kind of talk about that as being uh, someone that's learned the art of distillation by observation and by apprenticeship. And, you know, it's... Bear with me here. I'm trying to, I have so many notes that I wrote down here. Then there, on the other hand, there's a guy named Connor, Connor Driscoll from Heaven Hill, and he's considered the scientific distiller. And he'll tell you about esters and acidification and numbers and compounds. And that's, this kind of caught my attention too. And I never thought about the different kinds of distillers, but like any other craft, it kind of, it makes sense now. Um, or maybe you can even call it old school, new school, right? The guy that learns by doing it. And then there's the other guy that goes to college and is a numbers and analytical guy and things like that. Either way, I was interested in knowing their styles uh, between the master distillers. And then, so guess what? Right in front of me, I had the two different examples. So at the beginning of the show, I opened up uh, the Evan Williams single barrel, right? That's from the scientific distiller, Connor Driscoll from Heaven Hill. And the Knob Creek comes from the master distiller Booker No from Jim Beam, and he's the practical distiller. So without even knowing it, I had the different couple of different distiller types. Not that I know the difference. I know they both taste good, right? <laughs> but I didn't realize I have the two different old school and new school. And the article goes on to talk about uh, the economy and the bourbon market and even taxes and how those all influence the aging of bourbon, right? If your company needs money, you're going to say, hell with the aging, and you're going to go start selling bourbon, I guess, right? But I won't read the rest of it, but I, I suggest, you know, if you're interested in that sort of thing, go to thedailybeast.com and uh, check it out. Like I said, the guy's name was uh, Lou Bryson, and it's called Stop Wasting Your Money on Old Bourbon, or on Bourbon That's Too Old. So there you go. I hope you guys like that. We'll be right back. 
Okay, Rackhouse Ramblings is back, and I've got other stuff to talk about that is bourbon-related. So last week, I was gifted a small collection of padlocks. And before you start asking, why the heck am I talking about padlocks? Well, these are pretty unique padlocks. Um, before we talk about the locks, we have to get into something that's called uh, the Bottled in Bond Act of 1897. So this is kind of a deep dive into bourbon and alcohol and things like that. Um, I'm going to read this from Wikipedia. It says, The History of Bottled in Bond Act. And when you when you look at uh, on the shelves, you might find something that says bottled in bond. So this is what that means. One purpose of the Bottled in Bond Act was to create a standard of quality for bourbon whiskey. Prior to the Act's passage, much, much of the whiskey sold as straight whiskey was anything but. So much of it was adulterated out of greed, flavored and colored with... Things like iodine, tobacco, and other substances that some perceived a need for verifiable quality assurance. The practice was also connected to tax law, which provided the primary incentive for instillers to participate. Distilleries were allowed to delay payment of the excise tax on the stored whiskey until the aging of whiskey was completed and the supervision of the warehouse ensured proper accounting and eventually collection of tax. I'm gonna pause right there. So what that means is when they would put whiskey into a barrel and let it age, they put in the full 53 gallons and when they take it out, there's the angel share, 10%, 15%, 12%, whatever it is evaporates, right? So you don't wanna pay taxes on, on whiskey or bourbon that's evaporated. So what they said, the government said, okay, you don't have to pay taxes on the full barrel, but in return, you have to do quality product. You have to put a label on there. And as a matter of fact, we're going to lock your warehouse so you don't sneak barrels out. And I'm going to have a government agent lock the warehouse. So this is where the lock's going to come in, but stay right there. Distillery is allowed to delay payment uh, of the excise tax on stored whiskey until the aging of the whiskey is completed and the supervision of the warehouse ensured proper accounting and eventual collection of the tax. This combination of advantages led a group of whiskey distillers led by Colonel Edmund Haynes Taylor Jr., creator of Old Taylor Bourbon, to join with then Secretary of Treasury John Carlyle to fight for the Bottle and Bond Act. To ensure compliance, Treasury agents were assigned to control access to the so-called bonded warehouses at the distilleries. In addition to producing bonded bourbon, some companies produced bonded rye, bonded corn whiskey, or even apple brandy. To be labeled as bottled in bond, the liquor must be the product of one distillation season, and that's January to June or July to December. Uh, so it says one distillation season by one distiller at one distillery. It must have been aged in a federally bonded warehouse under U.S. government supervision for at least four years and bottled at 100 proof. The bottled product's label must identify the distillery where it was distilled and if different where it was bottled. Only spirits produced in the United States may be distinguished as bonded. So there you have it. So when it, something says bottled and bond, it comes from... Uh, one distillery, it comes from one season, uh, one distillation season. It can be bottled somewhere else, but it has to be 100 proof. And it's uh, locked up, kept under supervision. So I found this on josephbourbon.com. Um, there were also financial incentives bundled into legislation as well. Under the law, distilleries were allowed to defer payment of excise tax until aging was complete. Supervision of the warehouse by a federal inspector ensured proper accounting. Ultimately, E.H. Taylor and the Secretary of Treasury, John Carlyle, fought for the Bottle and Bond Act. Today, excise taxes account for nearly $10 billion of tax revenue. 
Distilled spirits today are taxed at around $13.50 per gallon. So one liquid gallon of 100 proof is taxed at around $13.50. Wow. Treasury agents were on site at distilleries to control access to the bonded warehouses at distilleries. Even today, some of the old distillery tours like Woodford Reserve, you'll see a small building next to the production facility of the then uh, Labrat and Graham distillery where the agent resided on site. Rumor has it the residents did not contain running water. All that was required was that the residents for the inspectors, nothing was said about modern plumbing, so they were required to have a residence for the inspector. Wow, that's funny. So I guess that kind of explains bottled and bond and having a warehouse secured and locked up by the treasury agents. And the thing, the locks I were gift, gifted were these kind of locks. Um, they were special. And they were made with a tamper-proof seal, like a postage stamp. So if you wanted to put a key into the keyhole, when you put your key in, it would tear the paper to show that someone had opened the lock. So I have one of these locks. The proper name is called a Slate Government Sealed Padlock. And it's made by a company by uh, the name of Slaymaker from Lance, Pennsylvania. So my friend Sandy gives me this lock. Um, she gave me a little bit of literature and the lock is stamped with a serial number and the word Slaymaker from Lance PA. and also has the words USBIA and that stands for United States Bureau of Industrial Alcohol. Um, the liter literature also says um, they were manufactured by the Herd Company. Uh, oh, these other locks. So I have, I have a total of one, two, three four, five, six different locks. One of them is the seal type lock. It's called uh, uh, a slate, S-L-A-I-G-H-T. And it has like a little door that you slide open that gives you access to put the key into the lock. And when you pass the key through that doorway, it tears the piece of paper, hence breaking the seal. And that shows if anyone is tampered with it. So the, the US government agent, he's the only guy that could open the warehouse, even though the warehouse belonged to Jim Beam or whoever, or Woodford Reserve, whatever, um, you could only open it from the government agent. And bear with me, I'm going through some of my notes here. And I found some information on the lock. So one lock says BIA, one says BIR, and that's Bureau of Internal Revenue. Um, so I've got a number of different, I'll try and put pictures onto uh, my Instagram page, as a matter of fact. You hear me thumbing through pages. I appreciate it here. Let's see. Bottled in Bond. Yeah, so I did kind of a deep dive on Bottled in Bond. Um, let's see what else we got here. <laughs> Bottled and Bond was really um, uh, a way to ensure quality as well. That was another thing. So way back when, uh, bourbon, there was no rules on it. So it, when it comes out of the distillery, it's clear. If you wanted to age it, you put it in a barrel, right? If you wanted to age it really quick, you would add some brown coloring to it, and you call it aging. You'd say, this is aged bourbon, but people would add all kind of crazy shit in there to, just to sell it. <laughs> Let's see what else we have here. Excuse me. Whew. Speaking of that, I think I need another sip. I'm going back and forth. I have three samples in front of me here. Eagle Rare got thrown into the bunch, but also the uh, uh, Evan Williams and uh, Knob Creek. So, mm -mm. Evan Williams, I love that. So let's see what else we have here. Bear with me. I am sorry for the quiet and the pause and things like that. And uh, let's see here. 
bottled in bond. Well, I guess that does it. Those are all my notes on the article. Um, shouldn't say the article. On the locks, I should say. <laughs> I think I've been overserved already. So there you have it. More than you ever wanted to know about locks, about bottled in bond. So uh, next, I guess, would be for me to buy a product that is bottled in bond and do a taste review on it. But anyway, there you go. Locks, bottled in bond, warehouses, and uh, Rackhouse Family will be right back. Okay, Rackhouse Ramley is back. Uh, this is going to be a close of the episode. Not sure what else to talk about. Don't have too much. But um, while I'm sitting here recording this, and like I said, listening to some live bullet, you guys should get you some. Go check out YouTube and uh, do a search on Bob Seeger live bullet album. Uh, it's pretty nostalgic for me anyway. So I'm going to take a sip. With that being said, you guys have a great week. We'll talk to you later. Rackhouse Ramblings out.